Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Olark in San Francisco, California is looking for a senior UX designer. Society of Grownups, located in Boston, Massachusetts, is looking for an interaction designer. And Revision Path is looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into today's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors really quickly, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp also recently announced MailChimp Pro, which is this great set of new tools that lets you do multivariate testing, delivery insights, comparative reports. And the best thing about it is that now you can use all of these great pro features on the MailChimp mobile app. So you can take all of that stuff with you. Sign up today for a free account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. I'm in the middle of rebranding my business right now, so I was able to buy two domains really quickly, and not just a .com domain, but also a lot of the other top-level domains like .online or .biz or something like that. It's pretty easy. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today. Use our promo code GIVETHANKS and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more, starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every week, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. Right now, the November Big Bundle is going on. 91 items, including fonts, graphics, and a whole lot of stuff, really, for just $39. That's a pretty good deal. If you see something else you like while you're over there, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. We're still at 27 patrons right now for a combined total of $192 per month. A tremendously huge thanks to all of you that have already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like uh, special giveaways, early access to future episodes, and things like that, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month. All right, now for today's interview, I talked with creative director and entrepreneur Craig Brim. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Okay, I am Craig Brim. I'm, a, I guess, about a 17, 18-year veteran in advertising and graphic design. Um, I started off in Atlanta, Georgia, probably... I guess around 2006. I'm sorry. Why am I saying 2000? 1996. I'm okay. I'm an older guy. <laughs> um, and I have been working in it. I started out primarily as a fine artist. And then I went into graphic design, which I absolutely love because I hated the notion of 
fine arts just being for art's sake, even though now I feel like, ah, I get it. Art should be for art's sake. Um, but I wanted my art to be purposeful. Graphic design fulfilled that notion because they'd give you a mission. Hey, we need a logo for this. Hey, we need a card for this or flyer for that. And it was, there was something to apply that art to. Um, and when I discovered, I had always loved advertising, um, just from being a little kid looking through my mom's Essence magazines or Vogue, or even if I'm looking at a People magazine or Time magazine back in the day, um, the ads would intrigue me just as much, if not if not more, than actual articles. And I always wanted to be an art director, didn't really know how to get into that. Went to a hundred different colleges, in and out, dropping out, did nothing satisfied me. Um, and then I really stumbled upon um, advertising in a little school here in Atlanta called DeKalb Tech. I think it's changed on. It's becoming part of the Georgia State University system. Um, There's an old guy in the basement with, uh, he'd probably kill me if you heard him call him an old guy, but yeah, he's an old guy. Um, had all white hair and a white beard. And I had a little business at the time. I owned some vending machines. I, my wife and I have always been entrepreneurs of some sort or another. And, uh, and uh, I had quit the other colleges and I met, I walked and my wife was going to another school nearby. Um, and I said, I'm going to try this school and see if they have any graphic design or anything. And I, I got married in the middle of college. Um, I guess I would ask people not to do that, but I did it anyways. Um, <laughs> I, I walked into that school and I go, you guys have any graphic design or anything like that? And the lady goes down and she didn't even look up at me. She was like, go down in the basement. I'm like, down in the basement? So I walked down in the basement. It was literally just a, a smaller floor with about, I don't know, four or five classrooms. Uh, and there was a guy in there. The way I remember it, of course, is much more romantic. It seemed like it, it was all dark and there was a light on his face. And, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he, uh, I goes, is, is this the graphic design department? He goes, visual communications. This is the place. And I said, well, I think I really want to do this. I know I like this stuff. I've gone to other schools for it. I haven't been able to get a job. And he goes, you want to be in advertising? I go, yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, what are you doing now? I said, I own some vending machines. I have a little business and a few other little side businesses that I'm doing. He goes, uh, tell you what, sell your business, quit all your jobs, come work with me for a year and I'll get you in advertising. And I'm like, nah, brah, you, <laughs> I, I got, you know, I got a wife. I'm, I'm maybe young with this, but I got a wife to feed. And, uh, he was like, go ahead, you know, quit those things, come back and see me. I didn't sell my business, but I did come back to see him and started the class. And uh, it was crazy, mad, intense. Um, it, we, we had to draw fonts. We had to uh, do hundreds of hours of things that you just would not believe. The class started off with like 40 people. Um, we graduated 12. And the teacher was very happy with that. He was like, you know what? That's what I like. At the end of the year, I like to have just 12 disciples like Jesus. I'm like, oh, you're a maniac. Um, <laughs> the guy, would, if your work was wrong, he would literally rip it off the wall. He would chew it up. He would spit it out at you. He would throw any erasers at you. He was a maniac, but he was brilliant. I owe this guy my life in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, what was his name? His, his name is Ray Shedd. Um, uh, Swan Ray Shed. His first name is Swan. Um, uh, if you graduated of a certain caliber, you could then call him Ray instead of Mr. Shed. Um, I had some great friends who went to school with him. Um, um, Adrian Franks is a guy you probably should have on the show. Um, but anyways, we I finished that class with that that guy. 
And uh, he got me an internship. As a matter of fact, he got me an internship in advertising, I think within about two months of being in the class. Um, even then, I was a little older than the other students because I'd been to 100 other colleges. Um, he allowed me to get an internship. I think I acted a little more mature than the other people, even though a lot of those guys are better than me, I think, in, in, as far as graphic design is concerned. Um, but maybe I was older, wiser, dumber, quieter, um, but knew how to speak up for myself. Um, he got me an internship in short order. And then that, that's how I got into advertising from, from just doing graphic design and getting into advertising was uh, key with that class at DeKalb Tech. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's that does sound pretty crazy. I mean, even just the whole visual of you working in the basement with this kind of <laughs> yeah. I don't know, advertising madman savant. He was truly a madman too. And like he worked in advertising in the sixties. Um um he and that was one of the best things about him. He made us learn who the greats were. We had to learn about um now all of a sudden the names are running out of my head. Um uh good like good lord, who were they? Um Every name has run out of my head, but I see pictures of Saul Bass. I see okay. Herb uh, Luballin, you know, the famous font Luballin and, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful art covers he did. Um, and so many others. We had to know them. Um, we had to study them. And that was so cool at the time. It was like, who are these old timers? But initially, as we as initially we were like, who are these old timers? But as we got into it, we began to appreciate the genius of these people and how they knew how to create as that famous book is titled a smile in the mind. That's what these advertisers knew how to do. Um, Lou Dorfman, um, so many other people who the literal madmen were patterned after on the TV show. We had to study those guys. And as a matter of fact, a few years after that class, um, I worked in a, a place that shut down and I went to interview at J Walter Thompson and uh, I was able to sit in that interview and discuss the original Mad Men with um, before Mad Men was even a TV show, by the way, um, discuss the Madison Avenue men, as it were, with a creative director. And before I could open my book, he offered me the job. He was like, you know what? If you're this much in advertising, you must really love it. And uh, I want you to come back in a couple of weeks and, and start with us. And I was just blown away. I didn't even believe the guy I went. And I, I think uh one of the local agencies had sent me up there and I called the lady. I was like, I think I got the job. He says I need to come back in a couple of weeks and start on a Monday morning. And she goes, yeah, dummy, you got the job. I'm like, well, <laughs> but he didn't even see my work. She goes, don't worry about it. She's like, it happens like that sometimes. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, so that, um, from that little class, I was able to, you know, work just J. Walter Thompson working on the Ford Motor Company and whatnot. Um, really huge account just from that little one year class that kicked my butt. <laughs> wow. All that from a year. So it was sort of like a like an advertising design boot camp in a way. It really, really was very intense. Um, again, like I said, so many people washed out of that class, um, had good friends uh, who, we, you know, we'd have to get together and almost cry together. Like, come on, man, don't quit. You can do it, man. <laughs> Hang in there. Um but yeah, that was that was an interesting time. And it, it just afforded me so much. But I, I think also it was a culmination of my innate love of advertising and um, the, the schools that I had gone to before that I felt like ultimately failed me probably didn't as much as I like to romanticize um, because they taught me something enough to get me in that class and to be a spur 
um, a, a catalyst, as it were, to be able to quickly pick up the other things that he was drilling into us. So, I think. Well, speaking of of romanticizing, I want to talk about Atlanta in the '90s, specifically around 1996 when you said you started, because that was, I feel like that was such a a crux of Atlanta's kind of development in the national eye yeah. in terms of the Olympics. Uh, so so deaf and hip hop, of course, were mm. really big here. Freak Nick, tell me what it was like working and living in Atlanta during that time. Well, my experience is a little different uh, in that I was married, and also very, <laughs> so I wasn't able to actually be out in the streets. And where if Freak Nick was happening, I think I went to each Freak Nick, Freak Nick by mistake, like just oh. trying to go and get bread. You know what I mean? I heard that's how it kind of happened. Yeah, just trying to go. I lived in uh, Virginia Highlands at the time, a very small apartment. Uh, I think it was like 400 bucks a month. I wonder what it is wow. nowadays. Um, but literally just like trying to go to the Kroger. Uh, I think they call it Murder Kroger now. Um, but that may have changed. Um, <laughs> no, it's still Murder it's Kroger. still Murder Kroger. I think they call it Beltline oh, Kroger. Beltline. That's, Beltline. That's what Kroger. it is. It's Beltline Kroger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just trying to go. But but Atlanta was electric. But I had already been hearing of Atlanta. I grew up in Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida. And um, okay. I've been hearing so many wonderful things about Atlanta, Atlanta, the great black Mecca. And it, for me, it was either New York City or Atlanta. I still want to go to New York City. I still want to move to New York City, even if only briefly. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I came here because I'd been hearing about those things. And then that was a time where it was so electric. Um, one of the uh, schools I'd went to before the American College for the Applied Arts. I think it's changed its name to AIU American Intercontinental University now. University. Yeah, they. Um, I went there and I just met the best friends and we we kind of that was a little bit before I was married because that's around ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, somewhere around there. Um, and we were just hanging out and that scene was developing. That scene was bubbling under. That was a time where you could literally go to a club. The guys that I was hanging out with, they were great friends with little John. Like they were still picking on him because he was shorter than everybody else. And he was, Mm -hmm. I I remember at one point, I think, and I'm pretty sure this is little John. He had this long relaxed hair. (laughs) And and because that was a big thing in the mid, uh, in the mid nineties in Atlanta. Yeah. And they would make fun of him. Like little, I think little John was like carrying records for other DJs and stuff. Um, so it was that, that scene, I got here when that scene was just really bubbling under where it was really cementing itself and becoming a thing. I think the greatest thing about Atlanta at that time was it was the first time I've been in a place where artists supported artists at a rabbit rate where people were really just excited about each other and what each other were doing. I also remember being in a, in a club in the early nineties and every week, Chili would be in that club dancing. And I always wanted to go over, and this is before I was married. I always wanted to go over and say <laughs> hello to her. You know, you know, I'm being corny about it now. I didn't want, I wanted to, you know, be a lot cooler then and say a little more than hello. But she'd be in that club <laughs> dancing every week. And, I, and it was like not a big deal. So the place was electric. Artists supported artists in a way. A black artists supported black artists. Um, you still get a lot of that here in Atlanta. I think you get that here more than just about any other place I've been. Um, I would imagine New York City is a lot of the same. Um, but black artists support, if only in word, 
if only in showing up and nodding and saying yes um, to what you're doing. Maybe they didn't have the financial means to support, but perhaps they did. Um, and that was, I think that was the best thing about Atlanta back then, um, the support. I, yeah, I was going to ask, do you feel like Atlanta has retained some of that same kind of supportive feeling among artists, particularly among black artists? To a degree, I think a lot of the guys that I, I uh, came up with, like uh, I think of like the photographer Shannon McCollum, um, a, friend, a friend of mine named Vincent Christie, who's a photographer, does some sort of erotic thing now. Um, those guys got an audience of devoted fans who will follow them. Um, Funk Jazz Cafe uh, was mm. coming up, and those guys still have an audience, even though they may not always do, like Funk Jazz Cafe may not do the big events as often as they used to, uh, but they still have a devoted, diehard artist, um, if nothing else for the, but for the uh, sake of nostalgia. People want to come out and attend those things. I think there's still a, a pretty good vestige of it. I don't know if it is as rabid and as e electric as it was. Of course, again, now, now I'm sounding like an old guy. That kids today. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, but I think it's still here. Um, just like I'm talking to you. Um, you talk to Rafe. You talk, you talk to a few other people, um, especially locally. I think it's still here. Um, the internet in some ways ha has dissipated that, but it allows you to find other audiences in other places and other fans, if you will, um, who will support, just like people support your show. Um, I'm certainly a fan of the show and your other projects that you've done. Thank you. Um, this is, I think it's still here, uh, but I think, again, the internet has allowed us to dissipate it and, and grow it in different ways. I have a friend, uh, Lamar Tyler of Black and Married with Kids, who says, the gatekeepers are gone now. You don't have to go through oh, yeah. the same channels to get the uh, the ad adulation as well as the participation and and the, the you know people knowing your name out there. It's uh, yeah. so it's it's grown beyond Atlanta. Luckily for most of us, it was here. And I was it's so funny you mentioned that. Like Lamar and Ronnie, they've really kind of, I mean they've they've built an empire off of that one blog that they had. Black and married with kids, but it sort of spoke to that yes. particular audience of like black married people with kids because nobody else was really talking I to them or, or How come, doing now, Why so. wasn't I able to create an empire off of Kiss My Black Ads? I don't, I don't know. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Kiss My Black I Ads. Uh, I, I, I remember, I remember that site. Um, not just because you know me, sort of coming up as a designer, but I believe when I was doing the Black Weblog Awards, I believe. You were a nominator or we gave you an award. I'm not 100% sure. No, you did. I you did. won I got in 2010. Critics, I got Critics' Choice. Critics' Choice in I was so proud of that. As a matter of fact, I felt like if I'd gotten a popular award, I wasn't doing it right. Uh, <laughs> because it was intended to be a little subversive. It was, it was intended. At its core, it was a love letter to advertising. It was a love letter to black marketers in particular the the rough exterior was like a finger i was like saying kiss my behind kiss my ass no i was never really saying that i was really saying let's show some love to the black advertisers and if not just black advertisers other people who are doing work where they include diverse people diverse imagery um I love that stuff so much i still love um the notion of black advertising i feel like Advertising, marketing, graphic design has not done 
what we've done with jazz, what we've done with hip hop. I think we've had either blinders on us or our shackles put on us and where we're not allowed. I know certainly in the agency world, I hope I don't get in trouble for this black agencies. I love y'all, but they're shackles. We have yet to innovate anything. We have yet to push out and do things the way we can do, um, do what we do. Um, we didn't do with, you know, with advertising, what Morehouse did with students, what Spelman did with students, where we really, really solidified, got behind ourselves, did it our way, um, that we haven't had that nurturing cocoon that that allowed us to build and just, you know, it, what's funny is with social media, though, we've had a chance to to create our own jazz music as we come to platforms like Twitter, Periscope, Snapchat, and create cultures around these things where they're just these wonderful big tools that can be used to reach and communicate to everybody. Well, guess who comes in and makes those things fun, who makes them sexy, who makes them interesting. Um, just like what, you know, uh, empires done with television, love it, hate it or whatever, you know, and I, they're falling off and it, and I think it should fall off. Um, cause I hate it as much as I love it. Um, it's salacious, but it is, it, it's, it dips its fingers deep into black culture and it pulls up just the roots of who we are and what we do in some of the best ways and oftentimes in some of the bad, worst ways. Um, but I, that's what I think. I think in advertising, graphic design, um, social media, we, we're doing some of it, but in a lot of ways we haven't done what we can do. Um, and that is just bring a wonderful life and culture to things. I don't think we've done that yet in advertising. Not one black agency has been allowed to do that. So, Why do you think that's the case? Um, because money, because uh, the people who your brand managers often aren't like you. And even if your brand managers are just like you, um, and I've went, met some wonderful brand managers who, who agreed with me and the work that we were producing, um, Oftentimes, or the work we were we were comping up, should I say? Oftentimes, their bosses don't look like me, or their their general idea of what messaging is to the world and should be doesn't relate to what Black culture is. As much as the world loves Black culture, there's still stop gates and there's still gatekeepers on those particular industries to to keep them from doing the amazing work that they could and should be doing. People are frankly afraid, you know, is that really going to work? Um, you know, can you imagine years ago if somebody would have popped up an idea for hip hop or breakdancing into the advertising, they did it in a very sterile way early on, but now it's, it's common language. You know, you got IHOP on Twitter talking about pancakes on fleek and whatnot, um, dipping deep into the culture um, I'm in a group where we, we refer to that as brand blackface, a wonderful, smart lady by the name of Simone Pratt um, came up with that. And we throw it around all the time. Every time we see a brand using uh, usually a general market agency using slang and hip hop terminology and, and language from kids on Twitter and whatnot to sell their wares. But they would never go to a black agency and let them do their own natural version of it. So. Mm. So, yeah, I think they're gatekeepers or they're gatekeepers in that instance. But if you're out there on your own, you can do what you want to do. You'd think it would just be easier to tap the source instead of trying to. Yes. To mimic it. But yeah, I think I think also yeah. sometimes the source gets uh, uh, is always going to be organic and raw and hard to control and understand. And even when, right. when black people 
um, such as myself who have some degree of training, you, you're, you're, you're initially a little frightened and afraid of those things. Should I use that? Will that work? Um, so we, we put a little bit of dampeners on it ourselves, but ultimately though, I, if somebody lets a, the right agency go. I worked with an agency years ago, um, called Noman Newton, a small shop here in Atlanta had a really cool office space. It was the quintessential startup, um, where it was just a sexy, sexy shop and they were doing really cool smart, fun, very black things um, um, with smaller budgets. But we were so small that, you know, if somebody coughed out of Coca-Cola, coughed out a million dollars. Like, hey, we can survive for a year and a half, um, <laughs> you know, or a year or so. But um, that was an instance where they were starting to do really interesting things. Um, ultimately, the, the shop kind of dissipated, um, I think. I think maybe the owners didn't want to do the same thing anymore. Maybe they got tired of it. I don't know exactly why, but it um, was an instance where you had this interesting little Petri dish of culture and people promoting it and allowing it, creating small but beautiful things. It never got a lot of uh, big play, but it, it was an instance where I know this kind of thing could work, but people won't let it work. So mm. that was that. So something you mentioned actually ties into a question that comes from one of our Patreon patrons. Uh, this comes from Marshall Shorts, and he asked, what suggestions would you have for small black-owned creative shops looking to create more sustainable models in today's digital space where it seems everyone is doing their own thing? Wow, that is an amazing question. I know of Marshall Shorts. I think we've tagged each other a couple of times on uh, on, on social media. Um, yeah, Marshall does the uh, Creative Control Fest. Uh -huh, that's right. He just had my good friend Adrian Franks there, at, um, who I was in that class with, by the way, in that in that little uh, basement years ago. Um, Adrian's like 10 years younger than me, probably 200 points, uh, IQ points smarter than me. Um, <laughs> and he's just he's he's, he's going to kill it. But I think an answer to that question. Wow. Um, so funny. Um, my daughter, who's 14, has been talking to me about going into advertising I never thought I'd be this guy because I love advertising so much to say, no, don't do it, whatever you do. Um, I think I literally said just those words, no, God, please don't do it, whatever you do. But then I followed up with, I think what you really want to do is follow your passion. She's an incredible writer. Um, I, she has an eye for film and things like that. She even has a wonderful eye for art. Um, she won't, I should never let her dad train her into how to use Adobe Illustrator. And I'm leading up to the answer there. Um, but she'll get in keynote and create amazing, amazing things. I'm like, oh my God, you did that? Um, and she'll even animate them. I say all of that to say, I think if we follow our passions and find ways to commercialize those things, um, keeping as much of it pure as possible, it falls back into the thing I was talking about with black culture not being used properly, I think, in advertising. Um, but if we fall into our passions, dig into our culture, I think those things will be sustainable because those stories will be everlasting um, or at least have resonance for many, many years and then commercialize them secondly. Um, I know it's kind of an airy-fairy answer to what Marshall is asking, but I think that gets you there. I think whatever it is, you're finding intrinsically or innately or just growing up organically through the culture. If we get into those things, enjoy those things, maximize them, push them as far as we can, and then consider 
um, ways to commercialize them. Um, if you look at this is perhaps too abstract of a, of a thought, but if you look at Kehinde Wiley, um, his work, or even maybe Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, he's a writer, but he's found, and he's an incredible writer. Um, and he's a writer who's steeped within the culture and the black experience. Um, and he's been able to, for lack of better words, commercialize that because he now writes for the Atlantic and other things like that. Um, Kehinde Wiley has been able to explore his art, um, bring us uh, ancient European uh, tropes with black people in them and just completely flip that script. And now it has innately, or I keep using the word innately, I won't use it again. Um, it has become in a sense commercial as, as, whereas he can make money off of it. I think if we stick with our stories and are true to them and maximize them and understand that we can commercialize them without always bastardizing them or looking for a way to just whore them out, for lack of better words, I think that would be the way to go. Um, I haven't looked deep into his um, his uh, creative control. Um, I've seen it a few times. I saw it a few years ago. Um, I think he he is a wonderful uh, crux of what's happening with culture meets commercialism. Um, and maybe that's not exactly what he's trying to do, but I think that if he could double down on the culture, and I think he's already really done that, um, by just by the his choice of people that he's working with and how he hasn't really flipped it out. Maybe he is the black South by Southwest. Um, maybe there's an example there as, as to what he can do. I don't know if I want Marshall. If you use that idea, call me and, and let's let's figure out some compensation. Um, <laughs> but I think he's kind of already there. Um, but those things are he is right at that point. And so I think um, the tech is going to change. It'll be Snapchat, you know, for another eight months, maybe 16, if they're lucky. Um, and then it'll be something else. Not saying that Snapchat has to go away. Instagram hasn't gone away. Facebook hasn't gone away. But as they mature, people are going to get more excited about the next thing. Yeah. But those stories, um, Facebook really does community incredibly well. And I think they're getting to a point in their maturity, where they do community better than ever. Um, I'm a member of several private groups on there that are so incredibly active. And then to come out on your page in Facebook, it feels like you're like in Disney dumpy dum-dum land sometimes. Um, <laughs> because, you you know, you never know what you're going to see. You never know if I put up a quote last week. I, if that high school friend you never talked to in all of these years is going to put up a racist you know, remark right. and you got to unfriend him. But in my groups, they're so intense. There's so much help. Um, there's so much sharing. Um, that culture has remained the same and the technology will continue to change, I think. So I would I would suggest that to him, that he double down on what he's doing, um, triple down even. And, you know, stay with your stories. I recommend this to clients all the time. Your story is at the heart of it. And I hate to be, it's a little cliche these days, Everybody's a storyteller, um, <laughs> but it's such a part of the human experience. I think we've just gotten better and better at it. And we discovered that, hey, that's at the heart of what we're doing here. Um, so I think for Marshall, if you if he remains true to his vision and just and really double down and dig deep into what that vision is, understand it, write it out um, and then figure out ways to proliferate that dream um, through 
some sort of commercialization, some sort of new technologies. It's always going to work. It will always work. It will never fail him. Unless we go to a model of ESP where we don't talk to each other and we just instantly know what we're doing, <laughs> we're going to need those stories to, to travel on and, and to share between each other. You've worked as an art director and a creative director for a lot of different ad agencies. You mentioned JWT. Uh, you mentioned No Minutum. Uh, just recently, you were at Sanders Wingo in Austin. What should people know about working at an agency? Like, what is what's what's the environment like? Because a lot of you know jobs and things ask for people to have you know agency experience yeah, or something like yeah. that. What particularly does that that mean? I think what that people know? I think that's dumb, but I completely understand it. When, they, when people ask that you have agency experience, some people ask that you have big brand experience. I think that's really dumb, but the, the, because it's limiting for both parties. But it works because agencies are so trapped in their mindset and the what they do and the way they do it. So they want a square peg to come in and fill a, you know, a square hole again and again and again. And frankly, because they are so set in their ways, oftentimes a round peg will never work. Um, even though the, you know, the circumference may be the same or whatever number, whatever term I'm looking for, the radius, it's the circumference, I believe, maybe the same. Um, and it just doesn't quite fit. Um, I think that the best thing that kids could know are the things or maybe I should phrase this as things I wish that I knew about going into an agency. It's always going to be tricky and it's going to rely on your personality and the culture of the place you're going to. But um, you got to really be able to you got to come in and be able to hit the ground running even if you're doing that old thing where people say, just fake it till you make it. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that because we're all viable human beings. What the hell are we faking? Um, but you need to go in there and, and be ready to work, be unafraid to work because they're going to work. And depending on the agency, some move at a much slower pace and some it's like going from high school football to college football or to pro football where it's really just a much faster pace. Um, be prepared for the pace to change, learn the culture of any agency as quickly as possible. Um, find allies. It's not, you know, the apprentice or, or you know, you're going to be voted off an island or something like that. <laughs> but because you don't want to necessarily find enemies as well to look better in front of whoever you feel like. But you do want allies. Um, get tutelage from wherever you think you can. Um there's something else I'm really getting to. And I, and I think um, because I, again, I have a love hate of agencies and advertising. Um, but, and, and if I could get to what I really want to say is what I really want to say is when you get in that agency, or if you're considering an agency, please, please, please consider um, that it is a thing. If you don't make it, it's not a reflection of you, you know, because you may be made for something else, but if you do make it, don't sell out. Don't be dishonest. Don't be an asshole. There's tons and tons of assholes in advertising. You will meet the nicest people you've ever met in advertising, graphic design, period. You will meet some incredibly kind, magnanimous, uh, you know, great people. Um, but you will also meet assholes um, who will stab you in the back. Um, so you got to be aware of that. But stay true to who you are. Um, stay true to your art. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing I could say. Um, while 
doing the job that you've applied for, that you've been given. Um, it's kind of tricky, but that's probably the best advice I could give. Now, before we started recording, you had mentioned that you kind of just moved back here. And this ties into actually another question from Marshall. He asked, what's the major factor, or what was your major factor in making the transition back to your own shop in Atlanta? And what are the challenges going back to your own coming from a bigger agency? Um, what led to me going back to my own agency was... Um, it was one of those instances where I felt like I wasn't being true to myself. I didn't really fit. Um, again, worked with a bunch of wonderful, incredibly talented people. Um, I think I was more accustomed to having ideas, going and working on those ideas, um, sharing with the client, getting it out. I was in a position where I don't think I, I may have spent over four years. I think I probably had conversations with the client maybe four times, maybe five times. And to me, that's a little blinding. Um, I like having that conversation with the client, even if I'm just in the room or maybe you record and I can hear what the client says. There's inferences I'm going to take in that you will take differently. Um, there's things the client will say or the person in charge will say. Um, that we both need to hear. Um, I've, so I felt like it wasn't going well. Um, also having, you kind of get spoiled as you probably know, Maurice, when you have your own thing um, and then to go and work for somebody else, unless they are actually appreciating you. Like a lot of uh, agencies bought up uh, people from startups and from the dot-com bubble when it burst years ago. Those people were hot commodities. And they were getting into businesses and they were being listened to and they were able to help. Um, I, I think the business, the last business I worked for, I don't know if they were set up to hear me. Perhaps I am. I can go from uh, extrovert to introvert in zero seconds flat. Um, I don't know if I was strong enough. And it was one of those things where you got a bunch of people yelling at the table. Not necessarily this was happening in the place. I'm not one to yell at the table. I'm not one to often even speak up. Um, and so I think ultimately, ultimately the agency experience in that instance wasn't good for me. I didn't feel, uh, I think it, I, just to be real candid and throw all the shit off. I think that working in that particular office eroded my confidence to the point where I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I know better than that. I know me better than that. I know mm -hmm. how capable I am. Um, then getting back and working on my own. And while I was there, I had a few freelance projects that came up and they were quite lucrative. And I was like, my God, if I get two more of these, I'm matching my salary. And also I probably took, um, I don't think I, I, I made half the money at an agency that I made on my own. The reason mm -hmm. I went into an agency when the recession hit, people turn off the the sign that says, hey, we're here, we're a brand, we yeah. need to advertise. Um, yeah. Working with a lot of minority companies, um, a lot of those signs got turned off. Some of those companies went out of business. Um, my biggest uh, client almost stopped talking to me. I'm like, hello, I'm here. Please pick up the <laughs> phone. Um, right. As a matter of fact, a mid-project on a very big project that we've been working on with them for about eight or nine months, they asked if they could not pay the other half of that. Yeah. Ooh. Right. I'm like, dude, you're a billion dollar company. Ooh. What do you need my money for? Um, 
and that and that's when I started saying, "Honey, I think I better get a job." And the economy just went soft, and it was yeah. And and also, I had been secretly lusting to work in an agency again. Um, agencies can be fun; they can be, uh, uh, you know, splashy and all the things you'd see on TV, and all the things that uh-uh. they won't show you on TV. Well, there's also a level of security in there too, yes. right? Yes, Amen. That paycheck came every two weeks. <laughs> like without, <laughs> without, without, I didn't have to worry about it. There it was. I didn't have to call anybody. I didn't have a net 60. I didn't have a net 90, net 120, as some companies try to do these days, where I'm on the phone. Hey, I'm a small mom and pops. I cannot wait four months from uh, three months for my money, any of that. Um, right. So, yeah, there was a, a great deal of security. But e- even that, I was like, eh, okay, I'm willing to go out on my own again. So I think that the, the reason I went in, the economy got soft, so I got a job um, to, to truncate these stories incredibly much. Um, the economy got soft, so I got a job. Um, and learned a ton of shit. I did not expect that. I didn't think that I would go in. And I kind of went in. I think I wrote an article at Advertising Age. You know, you go in, and you're like a kid on the playground again. Your knees are a little taller, and you stick out of the sandbox, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, that was true, because I could see things. And because I had been a business owner, um, a lot of the managers didn't see what I could see about what's going on with the money, why the client is feeling this way, Um they simply did not know what they did not know. And likewise, I didn't know about going back into an agency after, I don't know, 10 years out. I didn't know the things that I didn't know. Um, and so I think even if the clash was eternal, I'm, I'm sorry, eternal. It was probably eternal as well as internal. Um, but there was a clash um, of, of cultures, of ideals and of ideas. Um, and so... The economy started getting better again. I was kind of getting over it, even though I'd learned a lot. I got to work on a lot of uh, interesting television pro- projects. I'd, I'd worked on television before, but not this much, um, where we were literally working on TV all day, almost every day. Um, even though people are mad at TV, I, I liked it because um, those production qualities and values will endure as we're telling stories in different ways. Most often, video is still hot. Um, we're pictured telling stories these days is a big deal from things like Facebook to Instagram. Um, so anyways, the economy was picking up. I was getting tired of that place. I really, my confidence had eroded beyond measure, man. I did not know who I was. Um, I remember, and that was one of those moments where it's like, God, I don't really speak up anymore. I, I, I literally had done a Myers-Briggs test before because I love the Myers-Briggs test. I think I do one every year just because, and that's the test where you find out if you're an ENFP or what your personality type is. And I had, on going into the job, I was an extrovert. Literally coming out, I was now an introvert. And I was like, wow, "Wow, what is going on with me? I didn't even know that could change. But after taking the test, I took it three times as being, am I really this? I really had become very introverted and it was not me at all. Um, And that helped me realize, yeah, I need to be out on my own. I do remember sitting here as I'm getting my business started again, making the phone calls. And one client was like, I'm so excited. You're out here on your own again. My God, please call me. I'm like, you should have called me years ago. Um, (laughs) But uh, I remember sitting at literally a card table um, and, and with, you know, like, 
three monitors on it and the best Macintosh my money, best, you know, MacBook my money could buy. Um, and just working late into the night thinking, my God, I do love this shit. And I thought I hated it. I thought I never wanted to do it again, but I hear I was doing it again for myself. I had a great deal of agency. Um, I had a great deal of control. I could talk to the client. I could share. I could explain. And I was me again. Um, I sat. Uh, <laughs> I had a meeting with a client, and I recorded it because the client talks fast. And I was like, let me let me record this so I can remember what she said. Um, and I played it back, and I was supposed to be listening to her, and I was listening to me. I was like, man, look at you go. You give a shit. <laughs> you know, I had this zeal. I had this uh, this thing again where I really, really cared. I was excited about what I was doing. I was excited about sharing it. The client was ecstatic. That always helps, right? Um, she heard, you know, the ideas. She was looking at her PDF. I was looking at mine. And it just worked. So uh, economy got uh, soft. I felt like I wanted to go back in the agency. I went back in the agency. I also did kind of a a one agency campaign where I kept lobbing things via social media to this particular agency that I knew that I wanted to work at. Um, I call it a campaign of one. Um, I still don't think they know that's what I was doing. If they hear this, they'll probably know, <laughs> but I was literally campaigning then like, Hey, Sanders Wingle, y'all are cute. Love you guys, man. Um, and I think ultimately it worked out. Um, but then when I felt like I was no longer who I needed to be, um, who I wanted to be, I had to get out of there and I got out of there. Um, I think one day the low, at the lowest point, I was sitting in my cubicle and people were literally uh, tossing my name about in a joking fashion. They weren't being mean at all, but I didn't like it. I was like, come on, like, like I don't like this shit at all. Let me get out of here. And I kind of left. Um, and, and, and then, so I'm back on my thing. I, I have talked so much. I don't know if I answered Marshall's question. <laughs> I think I did somewhere in there. Well, just like, you know, kind of what are the challenges of, of going back to that? It doesn't I, sound like there have been any challenges. No, it sounds like it's energizing. That's not true. I'm, it has, it has been energizing. I think the biggest challenges have been getting used to the cash flow again. And I mean, mm. Uh, my own financier and, and, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go for any loans or anything, but I, that's been a, a thought, maybe getting a line of credit um, and doing it differently than before. The biggest challenge okay. is always the money and the cash flow. Um, Amen to that. I think um, I do have the ability to get at clients and win accounts. Um, uh, my wife is my partner in the business. She's working with me closer than ever. Um, in this instance, people always think, ah, that's got to be horrible working with your wife. There's nothing better. Somebody who completely understands you, understands your goal, um, has the same goal in this instance. Um, there is absolutely nothing better. It can be a little tricky, but for the most part, uh -huh. it's way more upside. So I think the, the biggest challenges were um, self-confidence, getting that back up again, calling all the people um, again. Um, I still don't even have a decent website up, um, but it's the relationships um, talking directly to you, Marshall. Uh, it's the relationships <laughs> that uh, that have sustained me because most of the clients that I have now are people that I've had, uh, you know, years ago. And to be almost uh, my wife and I trip out on this. There is one guy who was an intern who I worked with in 1999. Um, I, maybe two guys. 
Um, they were interns. Um, they were interns at bigger companies. One guy was at Procter & Gamble. One guy was at, I think, Softsheen Carson, which now L'Oreal owns. Or he was with Carson Products, which was bought by Softsheen Carson, then bought by L'Oreal, became L'Oreal Softsheen Carson. Um, those two guys, uh, we were fast friends. Um, I worked hard for them back then, even when they were interns, treated them with the utmost respect as if they were the client. Um, those two guys have introduced me to so many people um, that I have, I could almost say that I ha- am in business, have been in business um, 10 years all at once, maybe closer to 11 years, and then back in business again due to those relationships. So keeping those relationships open, I think, ha- have, have made the challenge not so tough. It's always going to be about relationships and people. Um, and it doesn't mean you got to be a kiss ass or be disingenuous or, you know, like people you don't like because that's, I'm not really good at that. Um, but I, you know, I am kind of a, one of those people who like, God, I love that guy. I love just about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the mailman, you know, he's like, dude, let me just put this in the box. I'm out there and I'm hugging him. I'm like, no, man, you're my dude. Um <laughs> So I'm, I'm, it's one of those things where I, I naturally like just about everybody. Um, I can rarely mention people that I don't like. I can't really think of any. Uh, maybe I just throw it out of my mind. But I, so the biggest challenges, I don't know. Again, I'm not sure if I've answered that question. Um, it's always going to be you relationships know. and cash flow, I think. Okay. I think, you've, I think you answered it with that. You know, that, I mean, that makes sense, really, because a lot of what we do sort of as you spoke to earlier with black shops kind of really having to be on their P's and Q's about everything that they have to do, those relationships become even more important when it comes to finding work and just really kind of just keeping the motivation going to keep, keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. They've been, um, those relationships are everything. I I can't overstate that. I I wish I could. No, I don't wish I could. Um, you you simply cannot. Uh, Also, I think, um, speaking of relationships online has, has been, amazing for me. I think being a blogger um, was a big, big help um, that I know who Marshall Shorts is. Um, um, So many other people, Andrea Pippins, I don't know if you've had her, Andrea, I don't know if you've had her on the show, but man, you should. Um, She does Fly Magazine, um, Fly Mm -hmm. Online. Um, Even, I've even heard, you know, Maurice Chair, I've been hearing your name online for years. I think there's also a, a black director by the same name, by the way. Oh, that's uh, that's Matthew. Matthew Chair. Chair. I, him. I know of him. I don't know him. Um, that's. I think that's a a wonderful place to make relationships. Also, my my online Facebook groups. I even have an informal, like I have an informal board of directors for my life. <laughs> a, okay. A few people who I reach out to. Some younger, some older. Um, very few my same age though. That's weird. Um who I reach out to and I ask, Hey, what do you think? I literally will not talk to them all year. And then just like, just like be able to pick up the phone. Like, dude, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Um, checking in with those guys. Um, one guy in particular is awesome with like giving me a future cast. He's like, dude, this is where you're at. This is what you're doing. This is what you're not doing. This is where you're effing up really, really bad. I'm like, dang, and he's like way younger than me. I'm like, man, you can't just be reading me like that. But actually, <laughs> he can, and he does a good job of. And I listen to him, you know, at least yearly to every six months or so. Um, and I call several people. As a matter of fact, just saying this out loud now, I'm acknowledging that I do that. There's a few of these people I need to hit up. 
some of these people could even be considered enemies. Um, people I know don't hold me in the highest esteem. However, I value their opinion so much. And once I can get past the bullshit, we can have an honest, good conversation. I can listen to these people suggest things for my life. Um, I, I don't know where that came from, Maurice, but I thought I'd share that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. I want to talk a little bit just about about your business. How do you choose your clients? It sounds like you, you know, like you said, you are really good at kind of going out there and winning the account. But how do you choose your clients, and what are the best types of clients to work with you? For me, um, wow, it, 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 I'd like to think that it ranges, but it doesn't range. Um, that type has been warm calls, people who have introduced me through other people or blah, blah, blah. Um, in some way, shape or form, I know them. Um, I think also I'm not afraid of just getting on the phone and calling people up. Again, this this whole Internet, social media, you're so many, you know, you're just so close to people anyways. Um, whether you know it or not, you know, somebody who knows them. I'm, however, LinkedIn doesn't work very well for me. I wish it did because everybody is right there. Their job title. Sometimes you'd think they're going to put their damn budget. I have this project and it's going to be $20,000. You know, it's like, wow, if I could just talk to this guy. Um, but it really is through those closer associations um, um, or people who you don't know that you know, or people who know of you or people who's spoken well of you in the past or, or um, that is the best thing about getting the business. Um, but again, I'm not afraid to call a guy up. Um, this is our first time talking. Um, I feel kind of like you're a buddy, especially like, my God, how long were we in the pre-interview? Um, <laughs> about 45 minutes. Maurice is like, I am never talking to you again. After this <laughs> and that's okay. However, <clears throat> however, I feel like I can do that. So, um, uh, and then not to mention, I have the, this brilliant, brilliant, literally on paper, on test genius of a partner and my wife, like, like, doctor she's working on her doctorate degree while she works with me um and she has like three other degrees um one that she literally threw away like eh, i don't think i'm gonna do that anymore I'm like but babe that's like a master's degree you should stick with that eh. oh, wow I'm, yeah like genius level like sick I, everybody in the house is smarter than me <laughs> everybody <laughs> um that helps. Uh, so there I have this person where I'm doing warm and fuzzies and she's going. And so, again, your budget is how much I'm going, dude, that was so cool. Did you see that on Vimeo? Man, I watched that video over and over again. And she's like, and so you want this project done by when? And you know what I mean? And, and she's even she's even the one who say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not taking that. And I'm like, what? But this guy's my buddy and he needs that. And the budget's OK. And you know what? Here, and then she'll break it down. Here's why we're not doing that. Um, but again, I have strayed away, Maurice. You gotta, you gotta corral me, man. Um, she uh, helps me to get this stuff right. So that's a big part of the business as well. Um, your partners, who you're partnered with, who you really, really trust. Um, I've had amazing friends who are incredible designers and art directors and writers who I could have partnered with years ago. I frankly, I think I was too immature, and I think they were probably not ready. Um, but we should, I think we should have overcome those things. We should have figured out ways to overcome them. I now know how to do a lot of that. Not saying I know how to do all of it. Um, organization is not my strong suit. 
but I at least understand what it would take now to partner with people. But the people around you, that's everything. Um, I'm not even talking about clients now. I'm talking about the people you're working with. Um, even if you're a solo joint and you got people you can reach out to to advise you, people who know more, people who know less, but but have a different take on what you're doing. Um, that's to me, that is business. Um, and, and, and here's something else I always say. Business in the United States of America is the most creative thing that you can do. More creative than being a fine artist, more creative than being a sculpt, you know, building sculptures, because there's so much leeway in America. You can literally just hang out a shingle to tomorrow, today. And, you know, I sell bricks made of shit. That's what I do. Um, and the government won't bother you. They're like, you know what? He's selling, you know, legal shit. We're not going to mess with that. Um, he can sell it. You can sell it online. You can sell it on the park. Um, I was well, my wife and I and my daughter were walking through Piedmont Park yesterday and the most gorgeous little kid walks up to me and he's like, you want to buy a cookie? And I'm like, are those real cookies? Or because they look like mud and plastic. Um, and he was like, <laughs> you know, he was like, you want to buy? And I could not not buy the cookie. And his parents were probably about 10 paces behind, uh-huh. but they knew the business. They knew how cute and how creative it is to let the kid, you know, I'm sure the kid ain't making no cookies. They were delicious, by the way. Um, The kid ain't making no cookies, but his parents were being very creative because they had two bigger baskets that they were holding. The kid had a cute little basket with about, I don't know, five, ten cookies in it, and they were $2 a piece, highway robbery. But, you know, they were creative (laughs) enough to think to go out on a Sunday, a beautiful day, that's gorgeous little kid, leading the way with a basket, you know, he looked like the black little red riding hood. And, you know, <laughs> down there skipping up to you. Hey, mister, would you like to buy a cookie? Um, but that's America. Um, any way you want to do a business whatsoever, you know, like you have several different businesses from revision path to to your your, your design work and, and other things that you do. Um, those things, you can do whatever you want. I have a, a venture that I'm pushing out on that I too am going to do with my cute kids. Um, but it will be online. I don't know how much I should talk about it right now, but it stems from uh, my background. I've worked in a lot of health and beauty stuff. Um, if you think about, um, I, I better shut up about it because I have not done my due diligence. Again, this is one of my soft points where I'll do so many things and there's other things that I need to do that I haven't done. So I'm not going to go a lot into detail about it, but it's okay. it's a way to get me more into the digital space. Um, literally like almost overnight, if you will. And that's the beauty of the internet right now is people are talking digital and they're talking over your head. Well, everybody has a, you know, can have a digital business of sorts. Can you make money is the bigger question, but we can all be in that digital space. Hell we all are. And so this, this is a big question that I'm going to ask. So you've worked in the design and the advertising industry for, Many years, you clearly have a, a very unique perspective on, uh, I think, both both of these industries, probably advertising more, I think. Mm-hmm. What is it exactly that you want to see from these industries? Hmm. I think it would go back to that, truly embracing all the people. Uh, you mean as, as, as far as 
the work that they do or how they function or it is a big question. Any, anything, anything. You can interpret that any way you want. Um, I can't believe that they can't get over the diversity issue. That just blows my mind. I, I think that is the wimpiest, lamest, punk-ass excuse <laughs> anybody could ever have. What are we doing, man? What are we doing? We're going to sit around and steal from people constantly, you know, dip into their culture but not hire them. That is ridiculous. Why does I think um, the one show or cans should have pencils or lions for diversity. Um, we see it's a real problem. Why are we not just why is that not a category for maybe the next? It's a temporary thing, hopefully, maybe for the next five years. Who can do the best job? Of, of hiring diversity and let's let's award that shit that's what we really are into awards um, we want our ego stroked for every little thing we do if we make a door hanger or a one-page website somewhere out there somebody's awarding us for it um i think that might be a way to do it or just really buckle down there's a guy from pepsico um on twitter the other day uh was it brad jakeman um, saying that, yeah. Oh yeah, I heard about that. That he was had those like choice words for people about the ad industry yeah. as it relates to diversity. Yeah, and, and I think I thank Brad for those words. I also, at the same time, believe that Brad himself could say, you know what, that's a mandate. We're not going to work with you if you're not. Give me twelve percent black people. Give me X percent of this. Give me that. Or I guarantee you, people would get their shit together in weeks. You know, me and you, Maurice, would be on, you know, somewhere at a big giant agency like, God damn, I was just in Atlanta. <laughs> now I'm, I'll take Yeah, right. Now I'm living in Portland. They're paying me $250,000 just, just to sit my black ass at a desk. <laughs> Call me. I will take right, it. <laughs> right. And, you know, and that's the thing. That's how so many black people feel. Um, like we would love because we want... In some ways, forgive me for the way I'm going to say this, it's not that we really want the validation. That's what I was going to say. We, in some way, want the validation that we are, are viable, um, good creatives that we know we are. However, we're, we're still in the Negro Leagues. We know we're mm-hmm. over here hitting home runs. We know we can you know, steal bases and, and, and strike you out and throw the fastest or as fast as anyone else uh, pitch that can be done. But we're still in the Negro Leagues, uh, advertising, marketing, these digital companies um, in 2015 were still in the Negro Leagues, man. We're, we're a world apart. We're separate but unequal. And that's pretty doggone sad when we know this stuff. Um, you know, even if, even if you don't know what they're doing because you've never worked in the gray New York or Ogilvy, wherever, um, and you don't know exactly how they do it. However, they have headlines with the word fleek in them and they have headlines, you know, saying yeah. some other thing. You know, there's a way that you can be used. That's why I really applaud Jimmy Smith um, for working, picking up with the thing you started, I believe. Right. The, where are all the black people? Oh, um, Were you a part of that? I started. Nope. No, <laughs> no, no, no I wasn't a part of that. No. No. OK, sorry. I did the Black Weblog Awards, which, which I mean, that Black was... Black Weblog Awards, awesome. I love that. And I think I think that needs to that needs to be pushed out more. That needs to be more in the forefront. Um, we, I hope advertisers are listening because that listen, would be great. <laughs> listen, everybody. Um, even this. I mean, uh, if people are complaining about diversity and their diversity managers are not listening 
to revision path weekly or at least on your site for hours, um, figuring out, you know, is this person, does this person even sound viable? Should I call them? Um, you know what I mean? They, they need to be hitting you up just like they need to be hitting now the Marcus Graham project up. They do. Lincoln St- Stevens is a wonderful uh, person, very smart. And the things he's doing are pretty incredible because he really is doing that, that same kind of boot camp thing that I went through. Um, he's doing it on his own out there. Um, there's no really other structure around him. Um, that's what I'd like to see for these industries. Um, also, uh, to start being uh, more fair and more honest across the board. Um, things like Dove's campaign for uh, you know real women or whatever they're doing. Um, I think that's good. I think that's really, really smart advertising. Less of making people feel bad about themselves in order to sell things, more things of meeting people where they are and showing them how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are um, in order to sell things. I think it would be a really great way to see. So those are the things that I want. For these. Well, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, kind of think now in 2015, if your company, if your 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 ad agency, your tech company, your design company, what have you, if it looks like a monoculture, I feel like at this point that's been designed in some sort of way. Wow. Like there are probably things that you are doing. There are perks that you have that are filtering people out. Yeah. That is designing the type of culture that is basically kind of what's going on right now in, you know, Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Because I know that we talk about yeah. a lot of this stuff being diversity, but really it's it's reality. Mm-hmm. It's reality. Like the world is a diverse place. If you've got, I mean, maybe, you know, Silicon Valley might be an outlier in this case just because of the geographic. Uh, it's pretty close you know, to popu- You know, popu- <laughs> it's pretty close to Oakland. Well, I lived out there for a while, so yeah, you're right. It is. It's pretty close to Oakland. Um but just in terms of what we see with our media and with our culture and things like that, I feel like companies that are doing that and still sort of running into these problems. I'll give you a prime example. So in Fast Company, there was an article about what Pinterest is trying to do with diversity because Pinterest recently put out um, some goals that they would like to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then they put out this article on Fast Company and they're like, yeah this is hard and we're not really succeeding in our goals. And part of me is thinking, well, some, well, first of all, people were congratulating them on that article. Like, Oh, so brave. So brave. There's, there's bravery in admitting failure that it's hard. Yeah. That it's hard. Wow. And even if it is hard, the, the ways that they are sort of putting it forth, it doesn't make it seem like it's that hard. I guess the people yeah. of color that might be reading it, it's like, well, why don't you just go and, talk to these organizations that are clearly doing this work. Right. I'm not sure what kind of, I don't know what magic lamp you're rubbing to expect the diversity genie to come out and just magically give you 13% black people. But well, it's, you have uh, to go out and kind of seek out the diversity that you're looking for. It's not the lamp they're rubbing, my friend. It's just <laughs> masturbation when they put out those articles and don't do the work. They're rubbing something else. Yeah, well, it's uh, and if they're failing, I think I actually believe that's a good thing. But Fail harder to borrow from, well, I believe it's Wyden Kennedy. Um, fail harder. You should be falling on your damn face. You should be embarrassed at how hard you worked at something and it didn't work and you got back up and you did it again. That's what's not happening. They're not being audacious. They're not being yeah. big, bold enough. Um, they Which is interesting because I, I, it looks like they're just trying to get it right on the first try. Yeah, that'll never happen. Whereas... 
I mean, I don't know how many startup offices I've been to that have what what was that that Steve Jobs quote about like fail fail faster or or think different. I don't know some shit like that, something like that. But it, but it's along those same lines of like you can embrace this dogma as it relates to software development. But when it relates to hiring non-white people, uh oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh-oh, we got a problem we, here. We get, we get a little timid, and, and yeah, and I, I think uh, well, and also they're being rewarded too. Let's be very honest about it. Um, they are the unicorns. They get the angel investors. Um, they get these huge advertising design contracts. Um, they are, they're essentially being war- rewarded for the culture that they have. Um, mm-hmm. For and it's an old boy network, and and in some ways, I can't be totally mad at it because imagine Maurice, if it's just me, you, uh, a few other black. Uh, I'm going to call Rafe out and call Honey out because we, I talked, I mentioned them before. <clears throat> if we had a shop and we were doing exactly the kind of work we wanted to be doing, and it's all maybe it's all black stuff, maybe it's not, um, and and then we could do white stuff whenever we felt like it because there's no such thing as white stuff. There's really no such thing as black stuff. Um, it's cultural things, but right. And we were just getting fat checks, fat checks, and then somebody comes up and says, a little white kid comes over and says, "Hey, hire me," and we're like, "What, dude? Can, can you do anything?" Um, we don't know you. Um, it's no excuse. Does not make it any more right. But they are being rewarded um, handsomely, repeatedly, historically. Um, it, it needs to be upended. It's kind of like um, I've been listening a lot to Bernie Sanders. It's like it, we need that kind of revolution where somebody's talking to somebody. I've proposed that that every black designer, person in advertising. Um, but people are afraid for their jobs. But we need to do on a, a massive tweet campaign. Um, we need to do sit-ins in their comment sections and have a 10-point agenda that we all understand. And it's not to scare them, but we need to always be there saying, I've been seeing more and more of it um, on Ad Week and Ad Age and things. When people uh, dare mention race, people will jump right in there and be like, well, y'all ain't hiring nobody. Um I think Facebook. I think we need an organized effort of that. Um, not suggesting that the lack of organization is the reason why this ha- problem has persisted for so long. I'm not, you know, blaming the victim at all. But um, there might be some ways we need to go after it too. Um, just like yelling our face. Even if I, you know, I'd be happy with a very high-paying job, um, but I don't have to have a job. There's other people who need it, want it much more than I do. Um, I can sit here. Um, I can have a home office. I can have an office downtown, wherever I choose to office from, and make plenty of money. Um, that's not a concern. I'm not worried about that. Um, and But there are other people who really, really want these jobs and who've been denied. And I've, you know, I've, I've felt, certainly have felt denied for years because um, it's, it's, you know, it's like you've been born into a family. And that family happens to be advertising. And. They don't want you. <laughs> yeah, you literally sleep outside with the dog, man. And I mean, it can it can you know sort of like how you were. And I'm not saying that this happened with you when you were at Sanders Wingo, but you can be in a position where like you it affects your self confidence. It makes you not think you are as good of a you know designer as you know you are. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not getting that same type of 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 um I guess accolades or respect, even recognition. Yeah. You're not getting that from this industry that you kind of. Giving blood, sweat, and tears. Exactly. And, and again, I may be a horrible designer, by the way, but <laughs> but you want to feel good about what you're doing. 
Uh, right. So yeah, and and who you are and the industry you're in. So yeah, that's it, it's just uh, the lack of diversity is a constant slap in the face. Constant. And because you and I both sitting here, we could name ten amazing designers, art directors, mm-hmm. um, or copywriters um, easily. We could rattle them all, um, and they will can easily be stuck in the Negro leagues. Um, some of them will, you know, make it on to the other thing. But anyways. I, I, I think I'm exhausted at that point. <laughs> well, Craig, where do you see yourself in the next five years? I mean, I know you're kind of just getting back into your own agency right now. What's what's in the future? What's happening in 2020? Well, I actually did a little retreat about that. Um, okay. I, I think it's, it's definitely moving more and more into the digital space. Um, again, I think it's getting easier than ever to, to get there. Um, they're literally damn near apps that can help you make apps. Um, mm-hmm. Not even damn near. Um, there are, you know, web pages. There, there's something that called Page Cloud, I believe it is, or um, that will you could be like your client could say, I want a site just like Apple. You can literally open that web browser up in Apple and just click that and steal their entire design and the, everything's still live in there. You can put maps in there and just you know put in your own artwork, remove Apple's logo and blah, blah, blah. Of course, make it your own from that point. Um, but it's getting so much easier to where there's not that um, hurdle of, of having everyone doesn't have to code anymore. Um, so it's, it's definitely a space that I am happily walking into more bravely, more. Uh, uh, it's just uh, it's just what's next. Um, yeah, I wish my other project was further along. I could, I'd love to plug it, um, but I can't. Um, but that's definitely a space I'm going to be in. By the end of the year, I'm going to be doing more in that space. So um, it'll be in part retail. It'll be in part blogging. It'll be not really, I don't know if I can call it blogging anymore. It'll be things, something where I can make ad dollars and a few other things. And then there's, other smaller projects that I'm, I'm doing for clients. So I'm, I'm really at that point where I'd like to have things that are making money while I'm not always minding the store, Mm -hmm. um, for lack of better words, um, passive income as they call it. Um, what else, what else? I think I've been leaning towards, I'm going to be shooting more video, um, I have a 5D that's just kind of collecting dust um, that I'm constantly buying equipment for and then testing out and then putting it all away as neatly and cleanly as possible and not messing with it for weeks. Um, uh, my wife is, is building out um, her dream projects. Um, I am more than happy to let them lead the way. Um, I'm going to be supporting her and things that she's doing. Um, she's working on a physical space. It's, it has a lot to do with holistic things and, and health and spiritual life, um, spirituality, should I say. Um, those things, I'm going to be following up with her. Um, I, I think I'm going to try and be a little bit more in the background and help my family who has supported me for all of these years, really as a like Kanye West music company, getting out our dreams, good music. I'm going to help them get out their dreams more. Uh, I I think that's where my 
uh, path is going. I'll still be figuring out a way to be making some noise. And maybe once I become even more independent, I'll really yell at the uh, advertising agency industry even more, um, marketing industries and tech industries. You're not doing right by black people. Um, but that, those are the things that I'm going to be working on. I'm making money um, uh, online and with my family um, backing up their projects. All right. Well, Craig, I know we've talked for, I mean, a really long time. Two here, days but, now. We've... But but just to kind of wrap up, just kind of wrap everything up here, where can our audience find out more about you and follow you and follow your work online? Oh, wow. That's, you know, you, you told me you'd be asking that and I immediately panicked. Um, I don't have a decent website at all. Um, I, I'm on Twitter. I kiss my black ads. I still use that handle. Um, I do have a website at uh, www.culture-ad.com. It is an embarrassment. Um, it, it is just there for no apparent reason other than I haven't taken it down. I may take it down as soon as I hang up the phone <laughs> so, so that nobody can actually see that uh, scrap heap. Um, but I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at Craig Brim. Um, where else am I? Uh, Instagram, Craig Brim, one word. Um, how should I give out a phone number? <laughs> what about um, Kiss My Black Ass? Are you still it, doing still that? It's still there. I don't do much there at all. Um, I've had people ask me to to re, to do it again. Um, I've had some interest. Um, some people even, some guy called me about uh, ways to monetize it. Um, it was never my intent, um, but it's a viable uh, uh, thing, and I mm-hmm. think I'm probably going to go back into it again. I may maybe take it over to Medium or something. Um, yeah, Medium seems to be the hot platform yeah, right now. Yeah, I think, and then that I don't have to do it every day, all day. I devoted so much time to it when I was doing it, and it was so much fun. And it, it, um, I literally got to be friends with people who I would. Um, pretend I was friends with <laughs> on that site. So this <laughs> my black ads. It's, it's still at Blogspot. I, I own the domain and everything else, but it's still on Blogspot right now, a blogger. Um, so who knows? You can find me, people, somehow. Just Google me. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Craig Brim, thank yeah. you for <laughs> taking time out of your day, for speaking with me. I mean, our conversation really went all over the place in a good way, in a good way. I'll say that. I'm not saying that because you kept saying you were rambling. You you covered a lot in a very good way. I think it was a very good um, kind of retrospective of your work that you've done before, as well as kind of what you're doing right now and what you want to see happen in the future. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's been awesome. Thoughts of love And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Craig Brim and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Craig and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes down to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They've got really great reporting features, autoresponders, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code GIVETHANKS at checkout. 
And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, get those six free goods that are available for free every week, check out the November Big Bundle, and if you see something else that you like while you're over there, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps people know that we are an active show that people love to listen to. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. And it's free to do. So if you haven't done it yet, go on and leave us a review. It would be great. Uh, Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then consider visiting us at Patreon and becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.